Uh, you know, the idea of, uh, the idea of spiritual training um, and, and spiritual living originates uh, in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul, who wrote to uh, Christians in the church, and he said, train yourselves to be godly, uh, for physical training is of some value, but godliness uh, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Uh, I think Paul's words are, are a helpful reminder to us living in a, uh, in a culture that puts a lot of emphasis on physical health uh, and well-being. You know, Paul says that getting in shape uh, through physical training is a good thing, but he says getting in shape, through, um, you know, getting in shape spiritually is even, even, even a better thing because while one carries temporary uh, value, he says the other carries eternal value. And if that's the case, then it only makes sense to ask the question, you know, what kind of spiritual shape are we in? And what can we do uh, to better train ourselves and strengthen ourselves spiritually? Well, last week we began a, a new series in which we're exploring that very idea. And uh, because, because words like training and discipline can be a little intimidating, uh, we're simply talking about establishing some habits. Habits, you know, good habits, habits that that can help us shape and, uh, our spiritual lives and deepen our walk with God. Uh, in case you missed it, we defined last week, we defined spiritual habits as activities we choose to engage in uh, that repeatedly bring us back to God and facilitate spiritual growth and godliness and joy and all those things. They're not meritorious. In other words, these aren't, these aren't religious things that we do to impress God or earn His favor. Uh, these habits are not intended to demonstrate personal piety, or, or to be used to measure one's spirituality against others. Uh, they're not meant to foster arrogance or to be burdensome or to inflict guilt or a sense of inadequacy if and when we fail to do them. That's not what they're for. They're simply, they're simply meant to help us engage uh, with God by intentionally putting us in a place uh, where we can be with Him and we can hear from Him and we can receive from Him all the good things that God wants to give us as his people. So this morning, I want to talk to you about two spiritual habits that often, often get linked together, and that those are prayer and fasting. Now, as most of us probably realize, Scripture has a lot to say about, about prayer, uh, but what's interesting to me is that you never find a, um, a, a concise argument on the necessity of prayer. Why? Because the scriptural assumption is that we all, we all sense a need for it. We all do pray in some way, shape, or form. In fact, regardless of what you're feeling about God this morning or what your intellectual opinion of him is right now, most of you have prayed and do pray. And I, I base that statement uh, on research and empirical evidence. According to recent Gallup polls, 92% of Americans believe in God. 83% of Americans believe God answers prayer. According to surveys done by the Pew Research Center's Forum on Religion and Public Life, 75% of Americans pray once a week, and 60% of Americans pray once a day. 9% of agnostics pray once a day. And get this, 5% of atheists admit to praying once a day, which I don't know exactly what to do about that last statistic except to say that a lot of people who, who say they're atheists aren't truly atheists down deep inside. Back in uh, 1936, a sixth grade student wrote Albert Einstein when he was at Princeton and asked him if scientists pray. And Einstein wrote the kid back, and this is what he said. He said, you know, I've tried to respond to you as simply as I could. 
But he says scientific research is based on the idea that everything is determined by laws of nature, and this holds for the actions of people. For this reason, a research scientist will hardly be inclined to believe that events could be uh, influenced by a prayer addressed to a supernatural being. However, he says, it must be admitted that our actual knowledge of these laws is only imperfect and fragmentary, so that belief in the existence of basic, all-embracing laws in nature also rests on a sort of faith. Everyone who is seriously involved in science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and one in the face of which we, with our modest powers, must feel humble. In this way, the pursuit of science leads to a religious feeling of a special sort. I don't know if that was helpful to the sixth grade kid or not, but um, following, following that experience, it's interesting, a doctoral student at Princeton asked Einstein, you know, what... What is left in the world to research and do a dissertation on? And Einstein said, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Now, I am no Einstein, but uh, I know a few things about, about prayer, namely that most people do it, even some atheists. So I want to talk a little bit about it with you this morning. And, uh, you know, due to time constraints, we can only hit a few of the biblical highlights. But, but here are some of the few things that, that we know. First, uh, we know that prayer is a universal reflex of the human heart. I mean, inherent in each of us is a profound sense of purpose, uh, a sense that there's more to our existence than just what we see around us, that there's something, there's, there's someone bigger and greater at work behind the scenes, a God who, who has created this beautiful, wonderful, complex world of ours and who has created us for relationship with him, which explains why you know, all of humanity is searching to know and connect with him. Um, we're designed for it. We also know that prayer is conversation with God. It's a, it's a conversation that takes various forms. You know, it's a, sometimes it's about praise, affirming God's reality, his power, his holiness, his, his grace, and his goodness. Uh, it's about confession humbly acknowledging that as sinful, broken human beings, we're not so good, not when compared to God. It's about honest expression, you know, sharing our thoughts, our, our deepest feelings and our fears, uh, our questions with God. It's about petition, uh, making requests of God. It's about intercession, making requests on behalf of others. And we know that prayer is not just talking, but also listening. You know, every single day, there is a myriad of voices screaming at us, vying for our attention, and beneath them all is the still, small voice of God that, well, let's face it, tends to get drowned out by all the others, which is, which is why I suspect God said to his people, be still, release all the other things, be still, listen, and know that I am God. We know that prayer is personal. Uh, in his letter to the early church, the Apostle John says, you know, that because of Jesus, because of God's grace and forgiveness, that we have, we have confidence in approaching God. And uh, in that letter, the Greek, in that, that, that sentence literally reads that we have confidence before God. And it's the idea of being in his presence, which is not just about proximity. It's about relationship. It's about having a personal audience with God himself. You know, some people, and we've talked about this before, some people view prayer as a, sort of this exchange 
of information. And they'll say things like, you know, I sent up a prayer today. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but in some cases it represents a, a purely informational perspective on the whole deal. It's as if prayer is like sending an email. You know, we have a problem, we have a need, we have a concern, we summarize the information, we shoot off a request. Uh, I think if most of us are honest, we'll admit that sometimes we view prayer like making a phone call where we're hoping for voicemail. Do you know what I'm saying? You're making a call. You, you, don't want really, you don't want interaction with the person on the other line. You just want to say what needs to be said, get off, get off the line, you know? Uh, is that, am I the only one who does that? The only one. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, we do that. Why do we do that? It's just a one-way transformation of information. I think we do it because... Um, because when, when we send an email, when we send a text, when we leave a voicemail, it's safe. You know, we remain in control, and we can do it while we're doing other things, listening to music, watching TV, eating pizza, whatever, you know. In essence, with email, with texting, with voicemail, we can send information uh, uh, while safely, safely hiding who we are and what we're doing. There's no relational interchange, no relational interaction. But that's not what prayer is. I mean, prayer is not a detached transference of information. Prayer is personal. It means having an audience with God himself and approaching him with confidence because of his love, because of his grace, his forgiveness that we experience in Jesus. And to me, you know, that sounds like a really good thing, something that I want, but how do we know if that's actually happening? And, um, I think of guys in Scripture like Moses and Job and Isaiah and Paul, all who approached God and had this audience with him. You know, what, that, what did that mean for them? And so what does that mean for us? And here's what I think. I think that when you have truly experienced uh, a personal audience with God, then he becomes your, 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 your governing reality. You know, and, and your faith stops being abstract and takes on practical meaning. You may know in your head objectively that God loves you, but when you are before him, you feel it in your soul. It's a subjective experience. It's an emotional experience, and and it's a transformational. It changes you from the inside out. In other words, prayer is transformational because being in God's presence is transformational. Prayer is also intimacy. If you think about it, the creator of the universe invites us to call him Father. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father in heaven. And so prayer is belief. I mean, if we really believe that God is a loving, gracious Father who wants to hear from us as children and to help us and to be with us and all those things, then it only makes sense that we're going to want to pray, especially, you know, in times of, in, uh, times of confusion and times of need. For me, I like, how they, I like how the psalmist puts it. The psalmist says, you know, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Believing that means that prayer is submission. Jesus said, pray, our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth. Your will be done, implying that our requests be offered to him in humble submission. Submission to what? He, as God, determines to be right and good and and healthy and best for us. Sometimes I hear people say things like, you know, hey, I asked God for something and, you know, he didn't didn't answer. He didn't give me what I wanted. And so what good is praying? Theologians refer to that question 
as the question of the efficacy of prayer. You know, what, what is the capacity of prayer to, to produce the desired effect? In other words, does it work? Uh, in an essay dealing with the question, uh, Christian author and thinker C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, Even if all the things people prayed for happened, which they do not, this would not prove what Christians mean by the efficacy of prayer. For prayer is request. The essence of request is that it may or may not be granted. And if an infinitely wise being listens to the requests of finite and foolish creatures, of course, he will sometimes grant and sometimes refuse them. You see what Lewis was saying? He was saying that, hey, while prayer may be hard for us to, to grasp and comprehend fully, one thing we know for sure, that, that um, it's not a means of tapping into some genie-like deity who gives us whatever we want without consideration for what is right and what is best for us. I mean, the fact is, God always answers prayer. It just may not be the answer we're looking for. And sure, we can pray and we can ask for, for whatever, but we do so in humble submission to God and His will. Assured that as a, as a loving Father, he, he does know what is right and best for us as children, even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it. And then prayer is privilege. It's not a religious obligation. But like most, most good things, it does require discipline. Because it doesn't just happen automatically. I wish I, said, I wish I could tell you that it does, but it doesn't. And of all the spiritual habits we're going to talk about in this series, I, I think this is, is, this is the one people feel most guilty about. Um, but here's the reality. Prayer is challenged. It's challenged by distraction. I mean, for most of us, let's face it, our, our days are just so full, so busy, so noisy, so hectic that, that all the distractions of life create a gap between uh, prayer in theory and prayer in uh, uh, practicality. And, uh, and so this is, where, uh, this is where the idea of fasting comes in. Because fasting is intended to help us refocus on what is most important, namely God and our relationship with him. Now, a quick disclaimer here. I am not an expert on fasting. Do I look like an expert on fasting? I, I'm not. I, I've only done it a couple times in my life. And, uh, and so what I'm sharing with you right now is just some things that I'm learning about it, okay? It's that simple. So let's start with a basic definition. What is fasting? Well, fasting is the voluntary act of abstaining from something for the purpose of spiritual activity, like praying. It's the habit of giving up something, giving up doing something that we normally do in the daily course of life in order to, to make space in that time for God. So basically, fasting is about refocusing. If you remember, uh, following uh, his baptism, Jesus, just prior to the start of his ministry, went into the wilderness to fast and pray. And uh, at one point, uh, the enemy, the adversary of God, approaches him and says, Hey, aren't you hungry? Fasting is overrated, Jesus. You're the son of God, man. You can make anything you want. Take this stone, turn it to bread, have a sandwich, you know, essentially. How did Jesus respond to him? Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. A little later on in time, Jesus told a group of people he was with, he said, understand something. A person's life does not consist in an abundance of of possessions. Uh, here, here's my Ray K summary of that. Jesus said, your life, my life, 
is more than food. It's more than drink. It's more than clothing. It's more than cars and careers and money and possessions. But sometimes we forget that. Instead, we're, we're captivated and sort of carried away by our over-desires for, for things of the world. Food, drink, entertainment, all kinds of stuff. It's like we, can never, we never seem to get, to get enough. And we lose control. And we lose sight of the truth. And we lose sight of God. And see, the whole purpose of spiritual habits, the whole purpose is to bring us back to him, back to God. And that's, that's what fasting is meant to do. Now, just so we're clear, here's what fasting is not. Fasting is not um, commanded. You could say that it's endorsed, it's, uh, it's encouraged, it's, it's, it's affirmed, but it's not commanded. And therefore, we should avoid the temptation of trying to make it some kind of a religious rule uh, that in some way gains us special favor with God. In Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees, the religious experts, they insisted that fasting was required to be justified with God. And Jesus refuted that. He said no. And he told this story. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed and said, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this, this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you what, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I.e., fasting is not commanded uh, as some way to earn justification or, or God's merit. Fasting is not... Um, for impressing others. Uh, Jesus basically said, when you fast, don't make a big, don't make a big show of it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make you superior to other people. In fact, um, to think of yourself as better uh, than others because of it only displays your spiritual poverty. Now, understand, Jesus was challenged because of this. He was challenged by the religious people for not requiring his followers to fast. But in turn, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders and the elite for their, for their public pretense with the whole thing. Because when they fasted, they walked around making sure everybody knew what they were doing and how, just how spiritual they were and all. And they looked all gaunt and sad and disheveled. And so everybody knew, oh, they're, they're fasting. And so Jesus said to his followers, he said, look, when you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. He says, but you, when you fast, put, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, take a shower, clean up a little, look good. So it'll not, it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. He says, and your father who's, who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And then finally, fasting is not magic. It's not, it's not some mystical thing we do to manipulate God into changing his mind or, or acting in strict accordance to our wishes. It is simply the act of abstaining from something for the purpose of focused spiritual activity like prayer. So how do we do it? Well, first there's what I would call classic fasting. Uh, which, is, which is about abstaining from food and drink for a, a, a period of time. 
And that it could involve, you know, you know, giving up eating a certain food that you really like and enjoy or giving up coffee that you feel you need or chocolate that you feel you deserve. And during the fast, however long it is, you, uh, when you begin to crave that thing that you like or need or feel you deserve, uh, you're reminded to pray. And so you do. It could be that, you know, uh, once a week, say on Wednesday, you make it a habit of foregoing lunch. And in the time you'd normally be eating lunch, you spend some time praying. You might start with, with um, fasting just one meal a day like, like lunch. Or maybe, maybe you go longer. Maybe you go half a day. Maybe you go a full day. It's really, it's really up to you. A lot of men and women in Scripture, Jesus included, fasted this way. Esther, David, Moses, Paul, the leaders in the early church. I mean, it's a, it's a good spiritual habit. And if you choose to do it, just realize that in today's culture, uh, some of the brightest and most creative uh, marketing minds are constantly at work trying to figure out how to convince you that you're nothing but a bundle of appetites that exists to be gratified, and that life is nothing more than individual and immediate gratification. But fasting says, no, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I know there's more to my existence than just gluttonous gratification. There is God and his will for me and his love for me, and I'm going to remember him, and I'm going to pray. Over the years, I've had people say, man, I tried the whole fast deal. I couldn't do it. It was too hard. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it isn't easy, or it wouldn't be called a discipline, right? But look, often in life, hard things can also be really good things for us. Now, not everybody wants to do a classic fast. Not everyone can. Some can't because of health reasons. So here's another alternative. You can try creative, what I would call creative fasting. I mean, there are plenty of things in life that we can give up besides food. The options are only limited by your imagination. For example, uh, pastor and author John Ortberg in his book, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People, uh, he writes this. He says, you know, the scriptures record many instances of people fasting from food, Jesus among them. I suspect that were he bodily with us today, Jesus might also talk about fasting of a different sort. Instead of an empty refrigerator, this fast would involve an unplugged home entertainment center. In other words... A creative way of fasting could be to not watch TV for a certain amount of time during your day or week. Now, I realize some of you are saying, hey, let's not get crazy here, right? Let's not get a little out of control here, Ray. No, look, according to the Nielsen people, TV sets in America are on six hours a day. The average American watches five hours of programming per day. That is 76 hours full days of TV watching per year. That's a lot of TV. So what if, we, what if we got a little crazy and made it a spiritual habit to one day a week or maybe just one evening, let's just say one evening a week, to, to turn off swamp people and, and, you know, and Sports Center and, and Mad Men and Ellen and you know, The Voice and Masterpiece Theater or whatever it is you watch. And instead of, instead of sitting mesmerized in front of the screen, we spend some time with God. What, I mean, what might that do to our spiritual lives? Or how about this? Uh, according to a study done by Baylor University, it was just, the results of it just came out last, last month in the Journal of Behavioral Addictions. 
Researchers have found that young adults in America send on average 109 text messages a day or approximately 3,200 texts each month. They receive an additional 113 text messages and check their cell phone 60 times in a typical day. I think we all do those kind of things. Maybe not quite to the extent, but I think we're up there. The studies show that on average, college students spend approximately seven hours daily interacting with information and communication technology. That's a lot of time in front of the computer. So what if we, what if we decided to do a technology fast and we unplugged for a while? We, we got off the computer for a certain length of time. We, we uh, checked out of email. We checked off of Facebook. What if we did that? What if we did a phone fast where at some point during the day or during the week, we turn off the cell, and instead of calling or texting everyone else, we talk to God for a while? You got, you're getting the idea, right? When it comes to fasting, really, there are so many possibilities uh, and if you could just come up with something and give it a shot, try it. And uh, if you do, if you do, here are two pieces of advice. First, whatever you choose to fast, keep your focus. Um, as you establish the habit, it's going to be important to continually remind yourself of the purpose for it all. Because your stomach is going to argue with you. And your mind is going to argue with you. And the enemy of God is going to tempt you. But don't, don't let those things distract you from the goal of intentionally putting aside some time to focus on and interact with God who, who so longs for your attention. Second piece of advice, start out small. You know, we have, somehow we've gotten this idea that fasting has to be this big, long, long drawn-out program, and so we end up either not attempting it, or we try doing it for an unreasonable amount of time, and we fail. I'm going to fast. I'm going to try to fast. I'm going to go a month without something. I mean, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. We go to these extremes, and we, we experience failure, and like, man, no, I, I can't do it. So understand, a fast doesn't have to be 40 days for you. It can be a lot simpler than that. The notion of go big or go home does not apply to this spiritual habit. So start small. Set a realistic goal and then celebrate success and then build from there. So why not try something this week? Think of something that you can give up for a period of time. Give it up and during that time, pray. And during that time when you want that thing, you want to turn on the TV, you want to text, you want to have something, just take that time and, and talk to God and see what happens. Just see what happens. Write, write down your, your experience. In fact, send me a note. Let me know what you chose to do and how, how, it, how you experienced it, what, what it meant to you. And uh, I'd be fascinated to hear your stories. C.S. Lewis, uh, when writing on the importance of things like fasting and prayer, he, he, notes how, he notes how relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. And he's right. He's basically saying that our relationship with God needs to be nourished every day, just like every other relationship. It needs to be nourished. In a letter to the early church, the Apostle Paul encourages believers to pray continually, he says. And I, you know, I wish I could tell you that I do that, but I don't. Few of us do. I mean, how often do we, we find ourselves at the end of a day realizing that at no point during it did we take even a moment to acknowledge and thank the one 
who gave it to us. Understand, in the midst of our loud, crowded, self-centered, hectic lives, the spiritual habits of prayer and fasting allow us to refocus. Refocus on the God who loves us and cares for us. It is from Him our help comes, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we take this moment and we thank you for the day that you've given us. It is once again an expression of your grace and goodness to your people. And Father, we, uh, we admit to the busyness of our lives and our own self-centeredness uh, and how we can often neglect even acknowledging you're with us. Forgive us for that. But we know you want to hear from us and you want to interact with us. There are things you want us to know, the things you want us to feel. There are things that you want to uh, develop within us. I pray that we would, we would um, think of ways that we can give up something during the week or during the day and during that time come to you. We can come to you with our requests, with our questions, sharing our feelings, and we can come just to listen for your still small voice. Help us to understand that our lives are so much more than just stuff, so much more than food and drink and uh, material things and careers and money and all of that, that there's so much more to our existence. There's this spiritual reality. There's the gifts of heaven that await us. And so, Lord, we, uh, we want to know that in a deeper, deeper way. And so I pray that you would help us as we pray, pray and fast and refocus on you, our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? And um, let's recite together uh, the prayer that uh, Jesus taught his followers to say. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And, um, you know, maybe you're here and this whole Christian thing's a new deal for you. And, but down deep inside, you sense that there's more to life than just what you see around you. And that you sense that there's something greater at work, someone greater at work. And you're right, there is. God loves you and cares about you. He wants to know you. And he wants to engage with you. And uh, understand these habits that we're talking about these weeks, this is not about earning God's favor. It's not proving your goodness to God or anything like that. We can't do that. Christianity is not about your good works or human efforts. It's about grace. Grace is is experienced through faith in Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, embracing him and following after him and experiencing that grace. I hope you guys understand that. I also hope that you'll take a step uh, to engage with God this week. Pick an, pick an idea, come up with an idea about what you can give up for a period of time. Do it, and in that, in, that, in that time period, pray. See what happens. Let me know. I hope you come back next week as we continue the series, and uh, I, I hope you're finding it as helpful as I am. So let me pray for you. And now, Father, as your church leaves the building, may your, the power of your Spirit go with us. May we sense your presence in our lives. And this week, may we be intentional 
May we make it a habit of remembering you, refocusing on you, giving up some things uh, in order to spend time with you. And Lord, I pray that those moments would be enriching and deepening for us. And so uh, we love you this morning. Be with your people uh, in power and grace. I ask in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.